Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and join me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. KV. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 408, Caves, comes to you now via just the right amount of moist. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into this episode. Pete, yesterday was Marvel Studios Saturday, talking Loki episode 203, uh, a jaunty adventure to the past. Meanwhile, looking ahead to the future, uh, this upcoming Tuesday, studio chieftains will meet at SAG AFTRA HQ to talk to the actors who they punished by not talking to a week ago when the actors asked for protections against AI and a little more money. Yeah, this after the um, George Clooney-led gambit under which superstars would assume more of a financial uh, burden in creating a deal. You know, Matt, like compromise. But those studio execs, particularly the the big ones who earn $250 million a year, don't want the concept of sharing to be a thing. I know, too, another factor was SAG-AFTRA being a federally recognized union. There's stuff involving employer contributions to healthcare versus, uh, you know, union member contributions and things of that sort. So a well-meaning plan, uh, but one ultimately that they're not moving forward with. Uh, Pete, moving forward in the world of Star Trek is uh, for people like you, I understand there's some goodies in the mail if you got the Star Trek Picard Blu-ray. Yes. Well, I don't have mine just yet because uh, I've been waiting this out. But uh, they are now Paramount is now replacing the uh, discs there that had faulty um, special effects. And in some cases, uh, episodes on the wrong discs for that third and final season of Star Trek Picard. Well, Pete looking even further into star trek's future now we're going to do our star trek kelvin 4 update pete i have asked you to spend time this past week searching across all media to give us the latest news on this kelvin 4 movie which paramount has promised there's going to be there's going to be movement on it so what do you have for us crickets huh well Maybe on that note, Pete, we should head into this week's Ready Rundown. Program complete. Enter when ready. Boimler, Rutherford, Tendi, and Mariner are assigned to an away mission to study moss in the caves of Gratanus. However, they become trapped when the cave entrance collapses. As they work to find an escape, they share stories about their past experiences with cave away missions. Boimler recalls a time he was trapped in a cave with Lieutenant Levy who still believes that Wolf 359 was an inside job. Levy's paranoia and conspiracy theories make Boimler increasingly anxious, but they eventually manage to escape. Rutherford tells a story of when he was trapped in a cave with Dr. Ta'ana. The two of them are forced to deliver a baby together, a baby Rutherford has, and the experience brings them closer. Mariner's story is about a time that she was trapped in a cave with Delta Shift, and there were forces that made them age rapidly. 
She had to confront her own mortality, but eventually found a way to escape with that suspiciously looking similar delta shift. Tendi reflects on being trapped not in a cave, but a turbo lift with these lower deckers on her first day on the ship. As they share their stories, they realize that they have all grown and changed since they first became friends. They also realize that they can rely on each other no matter what challenges they face. Eventually, the Ensigns are rescued by the Vandorians, a shape-shifting species that have been observing them. The Vandorians explain that they were impressed by the Ensigns' teamwork and friendship and offer to help them in the future. The episode ends with the Ensigns returning to the Cerritos, grateful for their friendship and the lessons they have learned all along the way. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's talk about the biggest bad, bad guy ever in the history of Star Trek. I'm talking Carnivorous Moss. It did eat Tendi's shoe. Uh, so it, it was dangerous at one point before it wanted to know all of their stories, particularly her story about a kind of starship cave. Um, yeah, weirdly, it, uh, it, it, it was the moss that brought them all together all along. Um, another threat here, funny, also funny because it's somewhat reflective of the time in which we live. Steve Levy and his crazy conspiracy theories, the big one being that Wolf, the Battle of Wolf 359, you know, was an inside job, which, you know, Star Trek fans know was not the case. Right. We had heard that before and to have Boimler push back on it firmly in this episode, along with his other lame brain ideas, particularly telling the um, Vendorians that he's on a subspace forum where like minded people make stuff. I mean, share things. Uh, the comedy of this episode on point the dramatic stuff, i.e. it's not dramatic as in people dying, but it's dramatic in terms of the friendship and so forth. Just just so on point. Uh, and that, of course, leads into the Vendorians, an, an animated series, Star Trek the Animated Series species, which I know got a brief uh, reappearance, I think, in the first episode of Lower Decks. Um, but for the Vendorians, this, this you know, 45, you know, near 50-year-old Star Trek species, for them to be the baddies of sorts at the end. That was a fun twist as well. Not only that, to have them voiced by a couple of our uh, actors whose regular characters don't appear in this episode in uh, Don Lewis and Fred Tadasiore here. Uh, I think a, a wonderful reuse of your regular cast. You add to that, particularly on the Mariner cave flashback. I love that they, they kind of straddle the line of look, Delta shift is, these are kind of the alternates of our lower deckers, but it's not, they don't go for that as a punchline. You're just kind of watching and you're going like, Oh, that guy has an eye patch kind of like Rutherford. And here's, you know, right. a different ethnicity for the Boimler and for the, it was just, it was, it was subtle in a show, in an episode that can be very broad. That was just hilarious. The space balls, you've caught our uh, stunt doubles concept. Yeah. Um, we also meet along the way, the brain eating Graflax, which has its own 
you know, mini arc of baddie to goody and all of that. And uh, also a creature that is best executed in uh, in animation versus, you know, can you imagine a live action-ish 3D model? It would have been super expensive and prohibitive and just would have been a guy in a rubber suit. So great use here. Would have been cool to see them actually eat a brain, but uh, you can't have everything. And lastly, we have as a threat the chroniton emitting mineral vein. Um, again, kind of similarly used for uh, comedy. Um, add to it that there's the the upstairs portion in which you age backwards, which was funny. Um, and again, in that lower decks uh, sense of humor, where it's like, what did happen to what's his name's foot? Uh, you know, sci-fi medical future. They'll just grow him a new one. No big deal. Using the aging to have his foot that's got a compound fracture, you know, completely heal wrong and then ultimately fall off was uh, the best possible use. Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for some theories. Pete, Mike McMahon revealing at New York Comic Con last weekend that the Vandorians originally had a line along the lines of, oh, let them enjoy this moment. Things are about to get a whole lot worse for them. Uh, this at the end of the episode. And he said, no, gonna, to have that line takes away from the sweetness of this episode, which I agree. This is a self-contained episode that reflects on self-contained previously standing sets in Star Trek and all of that. Um, but sh I guess we shouldn't be that surprised, Pete, that next week and the week after that, the season finale, uh, we'll put our characters through some paces. Yeah. And this with our season long threat, seemingly sitting this episode out, unless perhaps the Vendorians are involved somehow. I look, we've had an ongoing season long discussion here about the, benefits of the season-long threat and the, you know, the claim that it's the first fully serial season. I think we've pushed back on that a little bit. Um, I liked I liked that this was completely self-contained. I think this is the best episode of the season. Um, have I gone back and looked at the episode list for season three and compared it in my heart to this episode? I have not. I think I like this better than the season three uh, spate of episodes. This was, I mean, look, one way to test a great episode is to say, can I show this to somebody who's never seen the show and use one episode to sell them on the show? Obviously, that can be difficult with a highly serialized show, but this was just, this was Lower Decks in 25 minutes at its best. Caves do all look the same, don't they? And this estimate that they're a third of all of their missions? Um... Look, obviously, I understand the tongue-in-cheek thing of, I don't know when the cave set was built during the Next Generation era, but, you know, there there definitely was a certain point, oh man, look, the Maquis are hiding in the same caves that Picard was captured in from the, with the Cardassian two-parter, which is the same cave that Chakotay, and like, you, you know, I kind of get the reference here, and if they want to lean into it again for Lower Decks comedic effects to say, unseen are all these cave missions yeah i'd buy it how about uh the, the classic vendorian uh morality test or gambit here could that be a greater idea 
uh, connected with the season-long threat. It certainly could be, you know, if it if, if that's ultimately a Vendorian ship, um, that that there's possibility there, and this line that Mike McMahon excised from the script um, could point towards that. It almost was kind of like, I don't know. Look, obviously, at a panel, you need to fill it with sharing things and so forth, particularly if you are a uh, writer producer on a show that has never, you know, it has not been affected by the strike. Although, flip side, I think Lower Decks has good has done a good job of not saying, "Hey, look, there's no strike here. Actors can work here." Like they're just they're they're they're, they're towing the right line while still remaining open for business and all that. So fine, he has to share things at the panel. I maybe would have preferred that he not share that for sure the Vendorians know things are going to get worse. Although here we are in theories saying, well, if the Vendorians know it, maybe that is rightfully foreshadowing, or maybe that is Vendorian direct knowledge of their role in the the quadrant-wide issue. So apparently there's a theory that Picard is a hologram. Um, I know that I have... <laughs> I know that in our real world, Pete, uh, apparently there is discussion by some folks in some quarters on some less than truthful social media platforms that believe that the uh, current duly elected president of the United States, Joseph R. Biden, is in fact a hologram. So I think that's that's probably what they're referring to. It's funnier when you say it as Picard, who's fake, and the 24th century that's not yet here versus there's people who believe that now, but... Uh, I guess we got him. We'll take all Star Trek fans. Where do they find out he's a, uh, a synthetic life form? Uh, it'll be it'll be quite a blow. But but Pete, what about when they find out about Picard too? That <laughs> uh Hopefully, they don't get any brood pods in their throats. Um. Yeah. This 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 an episode that though modest theoretically modest in its um i'll say planning i mean writing words for a lower decks episode is it's it's the same i guess they are reusing the cave you know animated set i don't know that that's particularly time saving but we hit my point being this we hit so much in these three and a half uh flashbacks that we get we hit so much that is so rich and uh it's just again it's kind of lower decks at its best with the overall theme that, well, wait, you went on an adventure with another friend. Uh, you made uh, a baby. You had um, our counterparts along for the ride here. The idea that at some point the the crew will go their separate ways. This as... McMahon is writing season five and maybe the final one and they go their separate ways. Well, you know, in the last week, McMahon heavily walked back the interpretation yes. of that article, which I was pointing out on Twitter. Yeah. The guy that wrote that article, which was, you know, Mike McMahon says season five can be the last. That guy was like on Twitter going in six hours. I'm publishing a star Trek bombshell. In three hours, I'm publishing a bombshell. You guys are going to... Wait, wait, wait. Is he on a subspace forum where like-minded people make stuff up? Um, There you go. And indeed, McMahon... I mean, 
the text of McMahon's quotes in that original article were more in line with, you never know if a show is going to be renewed until it's renewed. So you always keep that in the back of your mind. If you work in TV for more than one show, you know that the show you're on is going to get canceled uh, or your time will come to move on from it. You know, whatever it is, it's kind of the, you know, the, the circus comes to town and the circus leaves town. So for him to kind of, for McMahon to reframe from that article and essentially say, you know, they can they can renew or not. This is how this works. This is how, you know, McMahon used to not be on Rick and Morty, then was on Rick and Morty. Had a shot to write for Discovery, stuck with Rick and Morty, which in retrospect is kind of, on the one hand, is somewhat shocking, but there McMahon wins two Emmys. Now, now on this, now on Solar Opposites. Like, this is part of it, not, hey, click on my website to find out that Star Trek is dead, Lower Deck's canceled, you know. Um it'll be what it'll be he's writing the season five finale as a season finale not as a series finale and you let the bosses figure things out from there the uh number of conspiracies here and even to the point where the vendorians sit down and confirm some things that are not real that they falsified data about uh warp speed harming subspace (laughs) And they did not, as Levy said, do the Klingon Civil War. Um, the do the Klingon Civil War. I mean, the way that's worded, it's clearly meant to be kind of you know poking fun at the crazy, the more crazy conspiracy stuff. The flip side, or the other theory, I guess is a better way to say, about the whole warp speed, you know, limit and all of that. I distinctly remember watching that episode of Next Generation, and it's like, oh man. Star Trek is saying, gotta get rid of your combustion engines because look, in the Star Trek future, now people need to warp slower. And we're just watching it going, I understand the broccoli and carrots that you're giving me. I understand these vegetables. It's a good real world lesson. But like in Star Trek, they can't trek as fast now because it hurts the stars or something. Man, I can't wait to see how this is going to play out. And then to find out, yeah, I think there's one other time where they're like, go to warp nine because super emergency and then they ignored it ever since then and some people theorize that voyagers uh pylons move to fix the damage thing but look at all the other ships where it doesn't because it was a bad writing idea so what does this episode give us saying yeah it was a it was a it was a bad conspiracy idea and people were wrong and therefore now the fact that everybody ignores it it's not a mistake it's been canonically fixed by the little show that could um really rick and morty-esque uh montage in the cave with uh rutherford and dr t there love uh no dialogue just uh giving you the the feels across that experience yeah and but i mean look here we are in our shall we say uh human human bias when it was oh dr t and i had a baby okay i understand who's the masculine and who's the feminine here got it uh i know what to expect from his little flashback story to find out that it was rutherford who bore the child perfect use of sci-fi um and you know just a heartfelt story there despite the weirdness the weirdness of the whole thing it was just it was lovely uh and it certainly does evoke some of those you know famous rick and morty episodes where it's emotional 
and it's heartfelt and it's not it's not as comedic um and it's great to see that you know those tools being used here so the delta shift lamenting oh we never get to rank up i've i've seen the captain but a few times and ransom but a few times like i mean bad stuff goes down eventually on delta ships where they have to see everybody I mean, I would suppose, in fact, I would be interested to hear from any, you know, if we have service members listening, um, perhaps on the naval end, although I suppose it could be any branch. Let me put it this way, Pete. If you're telling me that in the world of Star Trek, they can get to the Beta Z homeworld for the ribbon cutting, they could do so at overnight, you know, 3 a.m. ship time, or they could get there at 10 a.m. ship time. The, the 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 mid-morning one being more conducive to alpha shift and the command crew and the captain and the first officer and their dress uniforms and all of that that would make sense to me similarly and here's where i i i, I ask about the real world you know if you're on the uss whatever and you know that in three days time you're pulling into you know you're pulling into a foreign port with pomp and circumstance and so forth do you show up in the middle of the night or do you show up at 10 a.m., flags unfurled, everybody in their best white uniform standing at the edge of the deck and so on and so forth, despite the fact that maybe you've been on whatever internal clock or you've been moving across the time zones or things like that. So I could see it being based on a real thing. I also think of the two Lower Decks type episodes that we've seen before uh lower decks i guess in lower case here the next generation one and the voyager one where it's like surprise there's other people you don't hear about because they're not series regulars or returning characters um so maybe it's kind of in that spirit as well with that let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir to twitter we go where people could rate this episode in number of caves uh one cave shallow Surprisingly, got 25%. Two caves a bit rocky, 12.5%. Three caves, cave alicious, 12.5%. And four caves, cave amazing, got 50%. Uh, some replies here on Twitter. James is sagacious, big killing on Twitter, said this wasn't my favorite. Honestly, I thought y'all would shred it. The flashbacks were great, though. It was an interesting way to bring our Fab Four together and reaffirm their bonds. The writers squeeze a ton into this episode. Who are these squid people? Uh, as discussed, Pete, they're the Vandorians, going all the way back to uh, some some uh, animated Star Trek of the 1970s. What's the deal with the Vandorians? Why do they keep making false theories? Uh, we also heard Pete from Spider-Ham Lincoln at Tess LC139. Caves was cute, and the reaffirmation of the core for a friendship was nice, but we only have 10 episodes, folks, and a season-long arc solving, uh, unsolving unsolved mysteries about a koala and people being abducted by an unknown entity. We shouldn't be wasting precious chapters on lame stories about rogue AI and telling storytime flashbacks while being surrounded by ominous, sentient moss. Jeez. Uh, so it seems like Spider-Ham looking a bit down on the offering here. So a variety, a variety of opinions this week, Pete. Yes, uh, I would tend to agree a little bit, you know, that we don't have a at least tangible connection to what we've been looking at the whole season. Yeah, feels a little scattershot. It was enjoyable, um, but yeah, 
let's let's have it all be connected well mike mcmahon has indicated that episodes 9 and 10 kind of function together as a movie as an overall story and so forth so perhaps we'll start to be rewarded next week and certainly last week's this week's and next week next week's coverage all made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content all sorts of levels to pick from like your lower decks uh but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door can't contribute right now get over to apple podcasts leave us a rating or a review to any of our 34 soon to be 35 36 podcast feeds and pete let's keep the star trek conversation going how can people talk to you on social media you can find me on twitter you can find me on threads you can find me on blue sky at peter p-i-e-t-e-r-j-k-e-t-e-l-a-a-r twelve thousand six hundred followers can't be wrong can well <laughs> well i'm personally on twitter is looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram gmail and threads where we are fantastic geek as well but wait pete there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek with the p and the h all one word like it today our podcast coverage returns next saturday as we talk marvel studios saturdays and loki and of course lower decks the penultimate episode next star trek sunday with that pete i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word i hate caves I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?